So, uh, so you know, we've, we're jumping into this story. Sin uh, is on the move, and uh, it, it's not uh, any worse today. You might think it is sometimes. Um, just read the Bible. Um, uh, lots of sexual sin going on, man. Uh, just a lot of uh, places we could, we could jump into that. Shocker, uh, Satan has been attacking that avenue since the beginning, right? And, uh, and it's interesting here. Moses doesn't weigh in on a lot of that. Uh, he tells the stories, um, but he doesn't, he doesn't weigh in a lot. He just kind of gives us the facts, and, and then we get to see, we get to navigate the impact, right, of a lot of those things that, that uh, um, went on. And so uh, what a mess uh, Abraham's family is. And if you're joining us today for the first time, we've been reading through the Bible, and you're like, yeah, that's what church people do, right? Um, we're trying to read through it in a year. And we're trying to do it in chronological order. And we're just kind of taking a step back and I keep calling it the 30,000 foot view or mountaintop view or whatever. Uh, and we're taking the big ideas of scripture and, and we're uh, making sure we understand them. And the reason is because uh, Satan is here to kill, steal, and destroy. He'll never stop. And so if he can manipulate your worldview or break your relationships or anything, any of that stuff, he's going to. Uh, he's going to uh, try to worm his way in, get a foothold, the Bible talks about. And so... We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be grounded in the Word of God. And we need to understand the big picture view because sometimes in the details, man, it is very challenging uh, to wrestle through some of these stories and what's going on and uh, the reality of it, especially uh, coming, we're all in this American culture and we have ideas and views on how things should be and they don't always line up with how God views how they should be. And so as, as we take a step back and, and we get to, to see an unchanging God, and learn about him. Um, I hope that it fine-tunes your worldview. It may need to reshape your worldview. Uh, you, you may have bought into some of the lies that Satan's been throwing around in your life, and, and so maybe this needs to reshape some of that for you. I know we're all coming from different places. I was just praying for everybody this week, and like, man, I, I know for some people, it could be scary to walk through those back doors. I've been doing this my whole life. It's so casual for me to walk into a church building, you know, like that, I've never ever had a time in my life where I I didn't know that. In fact, the the short period of time where I kind of bailed on church, that was the odd part, you know, for me. That was the scary part uh, that I wasn't in church, and that didn't last very long. Um, and uh, but I know, man, we're all again, we're all coming from different places, and and so I just encourage you uh, to get to know the God of the Bible, man. Um, uh, his story is, is there is some tough stuff in there, but it's of love, and. People have been sinning from the beginning and are trying to run away from God, and he keeps providing uh, a way to rescue, okay? But we said this before. I'll say it again. He is God, and I am not, and he makes the rules, and I have to trust in him, you know, because um, I'm not always going to understand. I'm just not going to do it. So uh, Abraham has Isaac. We, we you know, we uh, dug, dug through some of that. Uh, again, I'm going to hit on some tough things right here and have fun at lunch if you want to dig in a little further with your family. Um, but Isaac isn't uh, this outstanding guy either. None of, none, of these, none of these guys have been just like, oh, you know, um, but we're going to get to one. Joseph is a pretty outstanding guy. Uh, he's 40. He's living with his mom and dad in their basement. And uh, they probably didn't have a basement. I interjected that. That's not in the Bible. Um, and uh, you know, even like, you know, he longs for a relationship and he, he, he doesn't even go out. His dad ends up sending out a servant from uh, and to where his mom is from. So uh, they, they end up 
uh, getting Rebecca uh, for him, and and uh, he's just really he's just just a passive guy. Um, and we again we see that a lot in, in some of the men as we progress through. But uh, um, so it just is really showing up in each of the sons and the generations as pass on. So uh, anyway. Um, Jacob and Esau are born, and there's strife there from the beginning. You know, they're wrestling coming out of the womb. Um, and uh, Jacob grabs the heel of Esau, and then, and then he's named that. That's what it means, heel grabber. Uh, he tricks his brother to get his blessing, and all that's going to come back to bite him. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't get away with it. Uh, he, he ends up having to escape Esau and, and goes uh, to, to live somewhere else because Esau's trying to, to, to kill him. And uh, he ends up uh, and uh, he ends up with his mother's brother, Laban, and ends up, you know, finding a wife, his cousin. Uh, kind of weird. Anyway, um, different times. Uh, I was going to pick on Alabama right there, but I did. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it used to be Kentucky, and I lived in Kentucky, and that was also weird. Anyway, uh, you know, she's attractive, but, but uh, you know, she's a, she steals, and she's a closet idol worshiper. I mean, it's in there. And, and Laban's like, hey, if you work for me seven years, she's yours. And so he's like, all right, she's good looking. Let's do this. So he goes and he works. And on the wedding night, um, everybody's drinking alcohol, you know. Um, and uh, they go in to consummate the marriage. It's dark. They didn't have nightlights. And uh, she has a veil on. And they consummate away. And the next morning, hey, honey, ah! It ain't her. It's the sister. He was tricked, you know? Like, what in the world? Like, what crazy stuff? So then he goes, what did you do to me? And Laban's like, hey, that's my oldest daughter. She has to get married first. And he's like, and so, hey, work another seven years for me, and you can marry the one you wanted. And okay, what in the world? And so he does. He, he works for seven more years, and and they end up uh, getting married, and man, there is jealousy, and just, and then there's the, the maidservant, so, so he ends up having kids with like these four women, and this <laughs> is where the family of God comes out of. What in the world? It's never too late for you. <sighs> they had 12 sons, one daughter, poor Dinah, that's her name, and uh, he, he's had enough, so he ends up he ends up leaving, uh, Jacob ends up leaving Laban and takes his whole family, and he goes back to his brother, and, and like, man, there's some fear there, and he's, he's scared. He wrestles with God, and he gets a name change, and his name is changed to Israel, and he changes from Jacob the deceiver to Israel, which means strives with God, and this family crisis after family crisis, man, um, Oh my goodness, I have a bunch of stuff written down here. Like, I'm going to blush even saying some of this because it's just so crude and it's so crazy. Um, you know, Reuben ends up sleeping with one of his dad's wives. Uh, Judah's son marries, uh, uh, I forgot her name, I didn't write it down. Uh, but, but his son marries her, she di- uh, he dies, and the, he gives her away to the next son. That son dies, the third son's like, uh-uh, <laughs> I ain't marrying her. And she ends up dressing up as a prostitute and sleeping with her father-in-law. Like, ah! You know, just all this crazy stuff that's, that's going on. And in the middle of it, this word circumcision starts, starts showing up, this covenant uh, that God has with his people. And, um, 
And then the sister ends up, uh, she gets raped by this Canaanite leader, and uh, he wanted to marry her. And so he comes to Israel uh, and, and, and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in love with her, and I want to marry her. And so the brothers are like, okay, tell you what, we'll make a deal with you. You and all your people, you get circumcised, you can marry her. So they're like, okay, he must have been a powerful dude because he goes and talks to a bunch of grown men into this. And uh, so they had to recover. There was recovery time. So they step in when they're in recovery and just slaughter them all. Payback, baby. Kill them all. Mm. So this is what's going on. And this circumcision thing was a sign of the covenant to all the men of Abraham's family. And, and, and the gist of it was, uh, you know, again, I'm not trying to be, but this was a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal. And, and it was that when the men saw their reproductive organ, that they never forgot that they belonged to God and so did their offspring, that they were his. And no other group had this. So they were set apart. And, uh, and so that, that was just this covenant that they had uh, with God. And so uh, this is so serious. I mean, even Moses, uh, I mean, almost lost his life uh, because of it, because it's so serious to God and that they were separated. They were called out from all the other groups. And this was God's covenant with them. So, uh, and then, you know, Jesus, if we fast forward, Jesus uh, brings on the new covenant and, and it's fulfilled and there's, there's no more need for circumcision and kosher foods and festivals and holy holidays and Sabbaths. Um, Paul writes in, in uh, Colossians, he's writing to the Colossians church, and there's, they're trying to, the Jews are coming into the Gentile church, right, and saying, hey, you guys need to do all these, these things. And Paul's like, what? No, no, you don't. And he writes in two, uh, Colossians 2, verse 11 through 17, it says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with the legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, because of all that stuff, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to, uh, to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to who? Christ. Christ. Thank you for the new covenant, Lord, by the way. Thank you for that. All things in the Old Testament point to Jesus, all of them. Uh, Jesus changed the Passover to communion. We're going to talk about the Passover today. Circumcision to baptism, the family of God. Back then it was, it was this certain family, and now it's the church. And, uh, and it's not a heritage of the bloodline and the law. It's the heritage of Jesus, and it's through him. Um, and circumcision is just a visual reminder that God is making a family and that the offspring are key to the formation of that family and that covenant. The connection between conception, offspring, and covenant explains a lot why sexuality is the center of some, some of so much of this mess and dysfunction and sin in this story, and it continues to be. 
Again, Satan is going to attack <laughs> at, the, at the best, in his view, the best possible places, man. Sexual sin, breaking relationships, man, he's all about that stuff because it brings destruction and shame to God. But God always gets glory through it. I, I just I love to see how he works things out. Um, and so... He's doing in our culture. It's never stopped, right? It's it's always been he tar- he's been targeting people since since Genesis, and so sometimes we believe and fall victim to this narrative uh, that he's out there portraying all the time. Again, we want to to ground our worldview of who God is and who we should be in Him, and so uh, so that's why we're taking this this uh, this look. So Jacob uh, uh, is workaholic, but still has this passive aggressive thing that's been, kind of been passed down. He tells lies. God is an afterthought a lot of times. Uh, uh, just no offense, but he reminds me of, of Southerners a lot. Uh, just some of the casualness uh, that, that he treats God with, you know, where it's, it's like, oh, I, I remembered to pray for my meal, but I won't really think about God at any other thing, you know. Uh, but we got that meal prayer in because Grandma taught me to do that. And, and it's, it's kind of like, yeah, but there's more, you know, and sometimes that's, that's where we stop. And, and, and it's, it's this, you know, it's this life. And so it's, uh, and one of the things we really see out of this is favoritism really began to surface. And uh, man, uh, his dad did that with his brother, and now it keeps going. Uh, but God uses imperfect people. And in all the crazy, Rachel, the real love of his life, has the last two children. She was, she was barren up until then, and you know, man, they rubbed that in her face, um, that they couldn't, she couldn't provide him with sons. And she bears him Joseph, and Benjamin. And so, congratulations, Ben. Um, so, and tragically, uh, she passes away while giving birth to, to Benjamin. And, uh, and there's chaos in the family. Uh, maybe you've experienced that. I grew up with five brothers and sisters. There's chaos. Um, and uh, I hope the story of Joseph uh, gives us hope because of that. Because our families aren't perfect, right? We could air it out in here, man. And whoa, you know. And uh, God still works. God still gets glorious. God still moves, man. He, he has a, a plan, and it's, it's, it's ongoing. So Joseph is spoiled, man, and he's youngin, you know, and it's like, oh, I see this with my two boys, and there's just two of them. I can't imagine uh, uh, what, what this was all. But he was the favorite son. The brothers are driven crazy uh, by how much he was dawdled over, and Joseph's a tattletale, you know. He runs back to dad and tells on his brothers, and and uh, everyone has one of those in their life. And he's a dreamer. Yeah, he has these cool dreams that he loves to throw in his brother's face too. And let me tell you all about my dreams and sheaves bowing down to my sheave and, and uh, the sun and moon and stars bowing down. And uh, man, uh, but the straw that broke the, the camel's back. Uh, his father, um, he made him this coat. And it doesn't get justice a lot of times in our children's stories because we call it the coat of many colors and the emphasis gets put on this ornate coat that gets just handed over, you know, and, and it was special. It was a special thing. But there were some other things going on uh, with this coat. And, uh, and, and so the part, of the part of the issue was that the workers, the, the guys who were out there slaving away in the fields and with the sheep, uh, had short sleeves oftentimes because they were out there really busting it and hot and everything. And so the managers uh, for, for them would have the longer sleeves, you know. And this coat that was given to him was a long sleeve coat. 
very ornate. And man, it just solidified that his, their father put him over them. This jerk who just loved to tattle and brag and... Mm, and the animosity just kept building and kept building and kept building until finally they're like, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And Reuben's like, oh, can't, can't, kill, can't kill our little brother, man. Um, and he's trying to figure out what to do. And, and uh, man, I come from a big family. I was telling you that, man, my brothers try to kill each other all the time. Like, I, 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 do, I remember Jeremy, man, he hit Corey one time in the head with a plate. And, like, Corey couldn't hear for days. And Tim... There was a steel pipe. I may have told you this. We were out here, and the Parsonage was here, and Tim picks up this steel pipe, and he just throws it at Jeremy's head, uh, trying to hit him in the head. It wasn't a, I mean, he was aiming for his head. Jeremy ducked, and it went through the window uh, where our dining room was. And, oh, man, he got, he got tore up. <laughs> but I understand, man, how it can just boil over, you know? And so here's all these brothers, and they're all frustrated. And you know, they just sit out there and just talk about him and talk about him. And it has just been festering and festering for years and years and years and years. And so the old one, the oldest one, Reuben, has to stop this, and he convinces them to sell uh, him into slavery. And so uh, he's going to come back, though, and save him, he thinks. Uh, and then it gets all happens pretty quick. And then the panic time kicks in. Joseph is sold. And what do we do? And so, hey, let's tear the coat up and, and let's dip it in blood and let's, let's show it to Father and, and say, you know, an animal has devoured your son. And oh, you know, the grief and, and all of that. And so Joseph's chained to a wagon and sold terrible. Uh, he gets sold to a guy named Potiphar and uh, he's over the secret service of Pharaoh. I mean, really, that's who, that's who he is. And, uh, and hang on. <laughs> Um, that's who he is. He's over the guard. And so he gets put into this house and apparently Potiphar's wife is, is attractive and somewhat of a, what we would call today a cougar, I guess is a word that we throw around. And, uh, Joseph's doing everything right. And he's this young strapping, uh, you know, Hebrew dude. And, and, um, he's, he's great. He's gifted and he's using his gifts to serve with all his might, you know, and everything he touches, God blesses and, and then this woman comes after him, and she wants him bad. And, uh, and he denies her, too. He does the right thing, and he pays the price. And she's like, well, you don't want me, I'll show you, you know? And so she grabs his, his tunic or cloak or whatever, and he runs out. And uh, she cries wolf, and he gets arrested, and he gets thrown into prison where he thrives. Where he thrives. It's amazing. All this stuff, man, just thing after thing after thing. And man, I know we're not there every single day of Joseph's life, but man, the evidence is there. He just, he thrives. And what I want to hit on with this entire story is to not be a victim, to be a victor. And I want to explain that. I really think our culture pushes uh, victimization and staying in this place. Things happen to all of us. And things aren't fair. We've already talked through that, right? Things are not fair. And we all have to deal with them and we all have to walk through them. And I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. And I'm not saying there's not a journey. But I am saying that God calls us out of that to do something great. And we do not need to stay in that place and wallow in it. That is another lie from Satan. And people fall for it all the time. Just play the victim. Just play the victim. Play the victim. Play the victim. 
And we got this incredible story about Joseph where he does the opposite. And he could have, like, oh my goodness, he could have played the victim. But we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, and we can rise above that status. Someone who's more than a conqueror, they turn obstacles into opportunity. Uh, You know, here Joseph, betrayal, slavery, false accusations, prison, racism. More than conqueror, he's, he's industrious. He uses his gifts to thrive. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of a diligent, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, bond servants and masters. And I Bond servants, you know, we, we get some slavery stuff in the Bible. Uh, a bond service uh, is someone typically who was poor, who contracted themselves out for hire, okay? It's not the same as the, the evil slavery that exists, okay? Uh, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Genesis 39, 2-5, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with them and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had, From that time, he had made him overseer in his house. And over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. A victor, someone who's more than a conqueror, places confidence in God, not people. The the Lord was with Joseph. Everyone in Joseph's life let him down. Everybody that shouldn't have. But God was with Joseph. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And a victor is about others more than self. I, I run into this more than anything else. When someone's in the middle of crisis, now look, again, there's, there's parts to that and there's There's a journey through it, but it always comes to this place if it's like, hey, when you can come to the place where you can get the focus off yourself and start putting it on others, you'll begin to heal. It's true. We were never meant to be idolized, worshipped, the self-centered thing. That's not who man is. And anytime they get put in that place, whether we're talking somebody on a platform or victimization where we just continue to look at me, look at me, you were never meant to be there. God should be the object of all of it, to his glory, not us. We're about others. Victors are about others. Selfishness brings trouble, emptiness, but selflessness brings peace. Joseph is the complete contrast to his dad. Um, he, go, you know, he, goes, he gets put in prison. 
uh, the, the, with the baker and the cupbearer, and, and, and he serves them, man. He interprets their dreams, and everything he said came true, and then they forget about him for years. I mean, this wasn't a week, man. He, he stayed in prison unfairly for years, and Pharaoh finally calls him in and interprets some dreams, and, and they're going to enter this drought. He ends up uh, saving them, and he ends up making Pharaoh so rich and powerful. Um, and even after all that, he still looks after his brothers when they're starving to death. And he tests them to see if they've changed. And he takes great care to make sure they don't feel condemned. Man, what a story. He could have raked them across the coals. He could have killed them. I mean, goodness gracious, he had risen to a place of power. In Genesis 45, 5-8, it says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He's like, don't blame yourselves, guys. That would have been hard for me. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not to you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the lands of Egypt. And a victor, someone who's more than a conqueror, forgives. Joseph's wronged by everybody. Tragedy, treachery. Or Job was tragedy, right? We saw tragedy in Job. We see treachery in Joseph. In Genesis 50, 15 through 21, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please um, forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Mm. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about, the, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He overcame his circumstances. He brought glory to God. And what a foreshadowing to Jesus Christ. Whew. Man, another man who was treated so wrongly. Jesus, we know, like he was totally betrayed and treated so poorly and didn't deserve any of it. Um, we're about to enter this story of God building uh, his, his people in Egypt. And I know, you know, again, we've been, we've been reading along. So let me land this plane with Joseph and we're going to jump right in and, and just tear through that. Um, Romans uh, 8, 28 through 39. And it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It puts a different spin on it, right, when we're projecting it through, or we're filtering it through the story of Joseph, right? For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Whom shall bring any charges against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not have to be a victim. We have Jesus. We can be a victor. We can be more uh, than a conqueror in Him. And we need to respond to that. We need to look at, at what we've been wallowing in. And man, go back and read the story of Joseph a hundred times if you got to. We're all going to be betrayed by somebody at some point. But if, we're, if we allow God to work through it, man, He's going to get His glory. He's going to get His glory. Um, I, uh, I went to this breakfast one time. I, I got called in to, to speak about this time. It was pretty close uh, to this at uh, Valentine's Day. And uh, I ran into Scott Helm and, Helms and he was like, hey, come, come speak at this Valentine's banquet. And I, I was like, okay. And so I came down here and, and uh, Meemaw attacked me. And she found out I was single. And she handcuffed me to her car. And no, she didn't. But she's like, hey, I'm going to cook breakfast. Okay, can't pass that up. Uh, so I go to breakfast with, with Meemaw, and then Shay comes over, and I was like, oh. The sky opened up, and uh, the clouds parted, and I just got out of my knee and proposed. Um, no, I couldn't talk, actually. I was, you know, that gummy feeling you get in your mouth and all that stuff. I don't think I said anything. And then I stalked her on the Internet. Um, that was fun. And got her email and uh, uh, started talking to her. And we, we used to the AOL Instant Messenger, AIM messages, um, we used to write back and forth, and, and finally we went on a date, and two weeks into that, you know, I was like, I love you. She's like, what? <laughs> and then the next day, I flew to China. I just left her. Bye. I love you. I got to go. Um, and uh, six months after that, I asked her to marry me, and eight months after that, um, we said, I do. And that's what we're going, that's what we're doing right now with God. We're just on this journey with Him. This relationship is building. We're getting to know God more and more. And we are about to walk into the part of the story where God introduces himself to the world. He's been interacting with this family, right? And this people and, and that kind of thing. But he is about to choose a grand stage to say, here I am. I am. Okay? So buckle up. You need to stand up and stretch for two seconds. We're about to just kick it in high gear and roll through this too. You, really, you're not going to bother me if you need to like pop the back. Okay, here we go. So God chooses to reveal himself to this family, and he's gotten them to Egypt, right? Joseph's in Egypt. They all, they all come down to Egypt, and they are fruitful and multiply. <laughs> um, they, they, it ends up being like 1.5 to 2 million people, best guesstimate, uh, that, that were ended up the Hebrew nation in Egypt. And so Egypt's looking around like, man, they're, they're doing good, and they're growing, and they're, they outnumber us, man. Like, and so they get scared that they're going to be overthrown, and so... Uh, they, they, they began to want to uh, take, take back the reins here a little bit. And so this is the platform in which God is going to reveal himself in such an important moment 
in Israel's history as God raises up this leader named Moses uh, in just a super interesting way. And so uh, the Egyptians began to demonize and discriminate against and, and control them through killing. Man, they, they uh, you know, slavery, it's, it's kind of crazy if you look back just through the history of the world, man, slavery and infant death has, has just plagued history. There's just been so many times uh, that has gone on. And I know the big one in our culture right now is the sex slave industry and abortion. You know, same th- it's the same stuff. It's just, it's just, I don't care. There's no value in life or, I, you know, and the killing is still going on, right? We're not above it. It's still going on. And, it, it, and it's gone on in all these, these generations and generations. And so in the middle of this distressed time, Moses is born. And Moses was supposed to be killed, right? And they're trying to hide him and raise him and, and all this stuff. And so uh, the, the boys are supposed to be thrown into the river. They didn't want any of the boys to survive. And so they throw Moses into the river, just was in a basket, and it floated. And uh, he floated downstream and ends up getting uh, the attention of Pharaoh's daughter. And so uh, this dude grows up in Pharaoh's house. Uh, and just, again, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know what we even compare that to. Alicia was sharing in Sunday school. You know, we don't have the, the concept of kings and that just authority type thing. But man, Moses just went from living in a basket to living in the palace for 40 years. He was, he had everything at his disposal. I mean, he grew up in Pharaoh's house, you know? And, and so what a thing. Acts 7, 22, it says, And Moses was stru- instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deed. But let's throw a curveball in this. His mom gets to end up hired to be his caregiver, which is really cool, you know, because she gets to influence him now uh, with all the patriarchal stories and the, the history, right? And, and so she's getting influence him as well. And what a leader training program God has Moses in. Um, we were, uh, you know, just the, the time frame uh, of it all, you know, I, we were talking about that in Sunday school too. Just, I get frustrated when I've prayed for, you know, a week or a month and something doesn't happen. Man, Moses was in Egypt for 40 years. And, and then he sees this injustice happen, and he, he goes to the defense, and he ends up uh, killing uh, this Egyptian. Whoops, uh, that's not good. And so he has to run and hide, and so he escapes Egypt, and he goes to a place called Midian, and while he's there, he becomes a shepherd, and that's a big transition. And he meets this non-Jewish girl, and he marries her, and he's got a pretty good father-in-law, and they're, and they're God-fearing people. They're just not Jewish, and... Uh, Man, he's, he's, out in the, he's out in the field one day with Baba Black Sheep, and, and uh, man, he, he notices sign. Again, I don't know if he could see a little flicker around a rock or if it was just like this, but this bush just blows up on fire, man. And he's watching this thing, but nothing's burning. That'd get your attention, I would guess, get mine. And so he, as he draws closer uh, to investigate, and God's like, take your sandals off your unholy ground. And he has this incredible interaction with God. And uh, this was another 40 years. So, so Moses is 80. 80. And he's still not ready <laughs> to go. But God's going to call him anyway. Exodus 3, 13 through 15 says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Mm. what shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, 
the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. Whenever you see, I I don't know uh, every Bible translation, but when they put uh, the Lord, the word Lord in all caps, uh, most of the time that is the translation of Yahweh, which is I am. It's used in over six, listen to this, it's used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. The name of God, we dug into this pretty deep in Sunday school. The name of God, I am, it literally translates he is, and God introduces himself, is going to introduce himself to the world on this platform. And if you dig into that, we talked about this again, but the dig into the root uh, word a little bit, the Hebrew breakdown, it means he exists, he breathes, he remains. Uh, his inner eternality uh, is, is just always. He has always existed and will always exist. He is creator and sustainer. He never changes, and he is sovereign. Such a word. Man, such a word that they held it in such regard that that we we were talking about this and we dug into some things, but we really don't even know that our pronunciation is right because they didn't write it down and they wouldn't speak it for fear. Whew. And I think sometimes, just sometimes, we treat, we treat the name of God with a little too casualness. I don't think we do. And I know, I know what the New Testament says. By the Spirit, we get to cry, Abba, Father. And we do, man. We get to, we get to connect to God in a fatherly way. But don't ever forget who you're talking to. Remember Job at the end when this big whirlwind and lightning flashing and God's like, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Don't ever forget. And God's about to make sure no one ever does. Ever. What a stage. So he shows up to Moses. Moses keeps giving excuses. Sounds familiar, right? You and I, we do this kind of thing. I'll get Aaron to help you, but the funny thing is Aaron doesn't really help. I mean, he barely says anything. Moses still ends up talking. And uh, so, sure enough, he goes to Pharaoh and says, set my people free. And Pharaoh says, no. And in fact, he doesn't just say no. He's mean about it. Well, I'm just going to increase the workload on your people. And oh, now the people are really upset at Moses, right? Because things are harder. And why, God? Why did you even intervene? Exodus 6. 1 through 8, it says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. So he's telling him beforehand that when it all comes down to it, Pharaoh's going to send them out with a strong hand, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Like, get out of here, please. So God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but... but By my name, the Lord, I did not, don't miss this, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. That does not mean he forgot. That does not mean that. It means he never forgot. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, 
who has brought you out, of, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Mm. They are getting to know God. <laughs> and, and there's this tough thing in there about uh, the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And uh, mm, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute because that's always been difficult for me. Uh, there's, it's mentioned several times. It's only twice that Pharaoh actually hardens his own heart. And those are different Hebrew words. So when it says God hardened his heart, God hardened his heart. And that's tough to come to grips with, honestly. Um, you might even leave here mad about it. Uh, like if you've read, dug into it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough concept to, to deal with. But we're going to read about it in the New Testament as well. But so the plagues, come on, man. Here they come. And it's interesting as we read through these plagues, these, these all... Uh, uh, kind of answer. I wrote down a more technical word, but I'll just say it in Whitesburgian. It just responds to who all the Egyptian gods are. Like, oh, you got this guy that can do this? Watch this. Boom, boom, boom. And early on, the magicians try to keep up, right? The Egyptians say, hey, we can do that too. And then it doesn't take long. <laughs> like, out of my pay grade. I can't, uh, I can't do this anymore. And, and so, man, uh, there's the there's the water to blood. There's the lice and flies and frogs and livestock dying and boils on everyone. Those, those early ones are terrible, but that one, ugh. And lightning and hail comes down and destroys all the vegetation. Then the locusts come in and eat it all up. And then this thick darkness. And man, we're not talking just, it's dark. Like, it's, you can feel it. And they all prove the inadequacies of the Egyptian gods. And sometimes when I read that story, it just doesn't, man, I don't know, it just, it, it's tough. It doesn't seem right. Why would God do that? It's a struggle for me um, about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and what's unfolding here. Uh, and I used to try to soften it a little and defend God here. But the truth is, this is what he did. This is what he did. Exodus 4, 21 through 23, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say, Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Mm. It was planned. And again, I, I don't know where you're coming from, but I, just as an American and how I've, I've grown up and what I think. And it's very difficult sometimes to read through, uh, through this moment. And uh, man, when Adam and Eve sinned, death entered, didn't it? It entered and it hasn't stopped. And man, we, re we read the story of Job and man, Job never got answers. Let's just be real about it. God never really explained himself to Job and Job didn't get to see behind the scenes like we do. We're reading what's happening. Job wasn't reading what's happening. He was living it. And God never explains to him. He just comes back to, you have to trust me. That is God's prerogative. Mm. We want to know how the movie ends, right? We want the happy ending. I don't even watch movies sometimes that I know are sad. I don't want to see that, right? I always say, man, this is my entertainment time. I know Donna and I always wrestle with this because she likes scary movies. I'm like, no, I'd never entertain myself with that. You know, like, no way. I, 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 I want this, this happy, oh, you know, everybody's... Good, and uh, God doesn't have to tell us. He gives us a lot. He doesn't have to explain himself. We just have to trust him, and sometimes that's a very difficult thing.
to do. But here God is very clear, and he says it over and over again. Um, we'll read the Exodus 9, 13 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I will show these signs among them, um, and that you may tell in the, in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, uh, How long are you going to refuse to humble yourself? And we know he didn't. We know he didn't humble himself. Uh, Let my people go that they may serve me. And he didn't. And God delivers the announcement of the final plague uh, in Exodus 11, 8 through 10. And all these, your servants, shall bow, come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Pharaoh was in hot anger. That my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of this land. And again, man, I, I know, I don't know about you, but I just, like sometimes we got this image of God, I think, uh, where he's like this grandpa sitting on a rocking chair. We can crawl up in his lap and he's like, here's your, here's your quarter. You know, go do something. Go buy yourself something on a dollar. Wait, inflation. Here's your $50. <laughs> I remember going to grandma and grandpa's house when I was a kid and, and, and uh, grandpa always gave us a 50 cent piece. That was so cool. Um, and that's not the case anymore. Um, but anyway, I know that's what we long for sometimes. And, and again, there is this intimacy thing we get to have with God, but hmm, he's, we don't get to create this indulgent God in our image and what we think He should be. It would be very wise of all of us to remember who God actually is. He's holy, He's righteous, He's sovereign, and He is all wise. Um, Romans 8-10, through 10, Paul's, Paul's wrestling with the same question. He's looking at his Jewish brothers and sisters, and they're not coming to Jesus. They're not, man. And he's like, aren't these your people? These are your people. And, and you know, he's, he's sent to the, the Gentiles, and it says in Romans 9, 14 through 25, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so that he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? How is the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called? not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. This is a tough, tough place in Scripture. It just is. It's a tough place. If you don't think it's tough, you haven't read it, you need to read it a few more times. There's some tough things in there that are hard to work out in here. 
And, and again, we don't always get to know every little single part, but we do know, we see it multiple places in Scripture, that God is sovereign and I am not. And we're going to dig into Romans deeper as we, as we get there later um, this year, but um, I'm always going to land in this camp, guys. God's big. God knows more than I ever will. This is His. And even though I don't understand, um, I have to trust Him. I have to trust him. And uh, sometimes I think we tend to look at it like everybody's running to God, and he's like, oh, I'll, I'll pick you, and I'll pick you, and I'll pick you, but that's the reverse of what's really happened, right? Everyone's sinning and running from God. And he's, through his saving grace, he's trying to pluck people out. Hey, listen to my voice. Follow my truth. And we follow him because of his grace and his love and his long-suffering and his patience and kindness. That's the truth. God, in his grace, saves some. You want to hear it from Jesus? John 10, 26-30. But you do not believe because you not, are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And man, we wrestle through family members and friends who we know, you know, are they saved? Are they not saved? Are they going to heaven? Are they going to hell? And, and at the end of the day, I have no idea. I don't get to be on that side of the curtain right now. I'm on this side. And what I do know is that for some reason, and all of this, all this stuff we're reading, all this big stuff, God hears my prayers. And somehow that influences things. That's why I tell you all the time, make sure you're praying. If you know lost people, pray. I don't understand how it all fits together and works. But I do know what God tells me. Pray. And on that side of the curtain, that's all on God. I don't ever have to make any of those calls. That's Him. We, we get this book and we have this truth and we have to trust God. And we have to pray. We have to pray. Maybe you even have questions about yourself. Maybe you're doubting. And I would just encourage you, man, if you got that fear of the Lord is there and you're here and, man, you're, you're there. I mean, I just surrender to his call. Um, all these plagues that we see prepared Israel for the 10th plague. Abraham and Isaac, God always provides the lamb. And God has always provided an animal sacrifice. Adam and Eve, we talked about how he made clothing for them. Noah, he sent extra animals on board for sacrifices. Job sacrificed for children. Job's friends sacrificed for themselves. God walked the blood trail twice that we talked about uh, last week. And now uh, we see it again. I'm going to read this and we're going to land this plane. We're almost done. You can do it. Stretch. Exodus 12, 3 through 13. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. Um, you shall, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, God's pretty specific right here, with unleavened bread, the bitter herbs they shall eat. 
they shall eat it. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled, any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. <laughs> and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of the Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments, and, the, and I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We all deserve death. We have sinned, and God saves us through the blood, but what a horrific moment. I can't even imagine the noises and the sounds that happened that night. Whew. Heavy, man. That is just, just out of, raise your hand if you're a firstborn. What if that happened in our country? Just like let that sink in for a second. Whew. Man. And the Egyptians threw them out. It broke them for a minute. They gave them lots of stuff, and they sent them on their way. And God made them go the long way. He sent them into a dead end, right? Red Sea. And while they're there, Fangor, Fangor. I don't know who that is. But Pharaoh, down in the Bible, gets angry, and he pursues them with, at that time, the largest army in the world. And watch God work. Waters part. The family of God walks across dry land and as the last kid's pulling his puppy dog out of the water, man, boom! Comes crashing down. Comes crashing down. And the people of God, man, wow. And then two seconds later, the complaining begins. <sighs> they head towards Mount Sinai. And uh, you guys are going to pick up there uh, last, next week. Um, so what? Let me run through these real quick. 17 points. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. I'm leaving. <laughs> We're good. God never forgets his people or his plan. He's always had a plan. It's now through Jesus and his church. You're a part of that. Okay? God raises up imperfect leaders to accomplish his will. You're good. Again, go back and read Moses some more if you need some encouragement. Um, God hates injustice. Uh, every age, I was talking about that, has slavery and infant killings, and, and we have to stand up for that stuff um, when we get the opportunity. And God is limitlessly sovereign. Nothing is impossible for him. It's his name. It's his name. Uh, God has mercy on some and hardens some, and he will use both for his glory. And by the hardening of your heart, you put yourself in a position to be used as a vessel of wrath. And if you answer his call, you put yourself in a position to be used as a vessel of mercy. God provides a way for his people to be forgiven. Praise God. Jesus said, I am the Passover lamb. I am the unleavened bread. We are passed over because of Jesus' blood, made clean, children of God. Passover symbolizes freedom from tyranny of slavery to Egypt by the power of God through grace in the sacrifice of a lamb whose blood was shed. Communion symbolizes freedom from tyranny to sin 
by the power of God through grace and the sacrifice of the Lamb whose blood was shed. It's the same thing in Jesus. All of it always points to Jesus, whom is our Redeemer. He's our Redeemer. I love you, church. Thank you for listening to all that. I know it was a lot. Um, I hope God was speaking, man. I hope, hope you're able to take away some big-time things, uh, and I hope you're reading along with us, man. It's so, it's, it's good, and we're about to enter some tough books, man. You ought to have to preach on them, by the way. Um, so just hang in there. Keep going. It's, it's worth it to, to take it all in, and, and we'll break it down and make sense of it uh, for you the best we can. But uh, let's pray as we close out. God, thank you. Uh, thank you again for loving us. God, thank you for these stories. There's so much to learn. God, it's, it's honestly hard to do this flyby. Uh, because there's so much deep stuff in there. Um, but God, thank you for, for these big vision things, God, that we uh, can come to understand who you are, Lord. Yeah, you're, you're sitting here saying, like, I am. I am who I am, God. And, and help us to never forget that, God. To always keep you in that place, Lord, that you are worshiped, that you are God, that your name is holy, your name is holy. And to treat that with the reverence and fear that should come with it. God, help us to serve you faithfully, to be vessels of mercy. God, it is your plan that the church help reconcile the world to you. Help us to do our part, God. Help us to do our part. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.